Let's make it a good one, eh? I'm Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. My dearest Abigail, the fire line is dwindling as I write this, but my time on the front is limited when it comes to correspondence. I'm now sitting in the John Wilkes booth, having a skillet filled with eggs, potatoes, and cheese appropriately named after the Monitor Warship, and drinking a 60-ounce Diet Coke from a mug the size of my thigh. I miss our days walking along Lincoln Avenue. And as soon as I'm finished here, cannot wait to see your smiling face. Regards, Beauregard. And welcome to the podcast, episode 21, Remembering the Lincoln Restaurant. I hope your Thanksgiving was, you know, thankful and all that. Yeah, the holiday is dripping with the cultural markers of genocide and the national obsession with diabetes. But the point is gratitude, right? Well, Dana and I rolled through a couple of friends' homes and, like locusts, descended, ate, and left for the next. Therefore, I, on this Thanksgiving, was thankful for Dana, our friends, and Tums. Now, today's episode was pretty much, it's just pretty much all me. I, I mean, I know plenty of people who have stories about the Lincoln Restaurant, but it's a holiday weekend and everybody's so busy, so you're kind of just stuck with me today. All right, now, so a few weeks ago, Dana and I decided to take the day and go on our own two-person pub crawl. Uh, she'd been wanting to go check out some of Chicago's local microbreweries, so we ended up loading up in the Prius and headed to the South Loop area. By the time we finished up at Motor City Brewing, our third brewery, I was just lit enough to be extra talkative. I mean, I'm a mouthy son of a bitch sober, but at least sober, I'm aware of it. A few beers and some nachos, and I lose any sense of how much I'm bloviating. Anyway... She started asking me questions in the car to fuel the nonstop word salad, and we landed somehow on my love for the now-closed Lincoln Restaurant. I mean, I couldn't stop the flood of memories of that place. If you're a Chicago Northsider, you know the Lincoln. You know where it was, and maybe you ate there. Owned by a Greek family and entirely Civil War-themed with a giant side, a sign of Abe Lincoln, as if Abe Lincoln were drawn by somebody envisioning Lincoln as a pro-Magnon man or caveman. You'd walk in. At the big sign, you walk in off the street, and there were two sides. I mean, there's three big rooms, but there were two sides of the main room. There was the smoking side, which was all red leather seats and really dark, cheap wood siding that when they stopped having smoking there, they kept the red leather seats and the dark wood siding. And then the non-smoking side, which was lighter pinkish seats and light, cheap wood siding. I never, even after they changed it from smoking to non-smoking for the whole building, I almost never sat in the non-smoking area. The lighter pink, I like those big leather booths. I had my favorite booth and everything. There were pennies everywhere, you know, Lincoln pennies, portraits of Lincoln, busts of Lincoln, omelets named after Civil War, Civil War generals, skillet eggs named after the Ironside ships. And then there was a back room. If you went to the right, there was a back room that was home for a monthly banjo group. There were spoken word nights there, stuff like that. And most famously, that was where the Lincoln Lodge stand-up show started and was for, I think, about five years. Now, 
I was introduced to the Lincoln Restaurant by Kerry Goldenberg. Uh, he was a former Second City cast member of the ETC stage. He worked with Dan Castellaneta and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Um, and uh, he was a math teacher at the school that I taught public school music at. And Kerry was just one of those guys. He was, he was a deadhead. He liked to play ultimate frisbee. You know, smoked a lot of pot. We got along very well. Once he took me there for the first time, I ended up eating at the Lincoln restaurant every Sunday morning for nearly five years. It was crazy. I loved that place. And then when we started up WNEP Theater, which was our nonprofit comedy, drama, musical, improv, data performance art theater um, in town, I insisted that we have all of our ensemble meetings and board meetings in that back room. I'd say of the 300-plus shows we did over those years, I'd estimate at least two-thirds of them were conceived and fleshed out in that room surrounded by endless cups of mediocre coffee and greasy but delicious diner food. I mean, I love that place so much that when the theater left the building at 3209 North Halstead, it's now the Playground Theater, when we left that as our resident theater, my second ex-wife and I moved into a two-flat a block away from the Lincoln. That was one of the big selling points to the apartment, was that it was a block away from my favorite place in Chicago to eat. It was, I mean, for me, it was just one of those places where I was a regular. It's like cheers. You know, you walk in and everybody knows who you are. Everyone from the cooks to the waitresses knew me by name. And they knew, most of them knew, that if it was morning, I'd probably have the General Philip Sheridan omelet, which was a three-cheese omelet, pancakes, and my potatoes, extra crispy. And if it was lunch or dinner time, I'd probably have an Honest Abe burger with waffle fries, extra crispy, and coffee. Always coffee. Dear Beauregard, I remember our second courtship night like it was yesterday. I can practically still smell the waffle fries and Honest Abe burger with bacon and Swiss cheese. You love those burgers so. I yearn for your hand in mine. We'll order the William Tecumseh quesadillas the next time we see one another. With all my love, Abigail. Now, the Lincoln became, once I was single again, sort of my second date venue. You know, if, I, if I'd gone out on a date with somebody and it, it was passable or it worked or, you know, things, things were clicking, whatever it was, I would bring her on the second date to the Lincoln. And if she didn't like it, there were pretty much no more dates. They were sort of like, if you don't get this, then you don't get me. And so for a while, I was doing the online dating thing. I did the Match.com for potential partners, the OkCupid for a shallow hookup, eHarmony if I wanted to date a Christian woman. I didn't really ever use eHarmony, although I had a profile. You know, and I, that's what I would do. We'd go out on a date. If things worked out, Boom. Go to the link and see how it worked. Some worked out, and we dated a few other times, but you know, it wasn't like, oh, if you like the Lincoln, you're my next wife. It was just, you know, that was that was sort of like a sign of, okay, we'll see where we can go from here. Perhaps the second, the worst second date I ever had was there. And in hindsight, it's not that bad a date, but she was such a pain in the fucking ass. She and I corresponded on Match.com for a couple of days, and then I invited her for drinks in the West Loop. We had some drinks. She was cute, funny. She laughed at most of my jokes. 
She was into theater, science fiction. She had a decent taste in music. So, you know, we went out. We had drinks. Uh, she went her way. I went my, my way. And I called her the next day and asked her out to dinner. I said, we're going to go to my favorite place in Chicago, but you don't have to dress up for it. Not that kind of place. She was down for that. So I picked her up on the night in question. We parked in the back. They had this back parking lot that I'd, probably years and years and years ago was a paid parking lot, but it was no longer a paid parking lot. You just drive right in. And then we walked in through the back entrance because that's where I, I knew the back entrance. And when you walked in the back entrance, it was like this dark hallway with two sort of crappy little doors that went into two bathrooms. And then you would come out like this tunnel you'd come out and there would be a bar that very rarely was ever actually used as a bar in this sort of like lounge area tiny little lounge area with a couple of like video games that were actually like vegas you know slot machine video games they had those but i never really ever saw anybody there and then we'd walk past and you go into the restaurant um, but she, she made this sound as we walked down the hallway. It was kind of like this grunt or a huff. And I looked at her and she looked like I had inadvertently handed her a ball of snot or something, but I was ignoring it. I was like, Hey, check out this wall of pennies. There's like $75 in pennies up on that wall. And okay. By the way, avoid the large drinks unless you want a bucket. Okay. Cause they, their big drinks are huge. <clears throat> so we sat in my favorite booth. And she just sat there and really looked visibly annoyed. This is your favorite place to eat in Chicago? Seriously? Yeah? Why? You don't like it? No, I don't. A diner. You bring me to a tacky diner for a date? Really? The waitress comes over. She's somebody I know very well. She says, hey, Don. You getting the regular? I said, yep, extra crispy, right? I said, you know it. All right, sweetheart, what can I bring you? Nothing. I've lost my appetite. Besides, you don't have anything I'd eat anyway. Maybe some dessert? I said nothing. Thanks, but no thanks. And the waitress and I gave each other sort of a look, and she left. And my date and I sat there. She stared me down for a while as I sipped my coffee. Can we just go? I just ordered food. Cancel it. Why? Because this is the worst. Her voice got louder as her agitation bubbled to the surface. It stinks in here, and I can't believe this isn't a joke. I want to go home. Okay, okay, sorry. So let me finish my... Right now! Home right now! She bellowed. Everybody was looking at us. I was just like, Jesus Christ. And I just sat there. And she just sat there. My Honest Abe burger came. My waffle fries. So I started to eat. And she just fumed. Waitress came over after a second. She says, honey, I called you a cab. He doesn't really date anyone who doesn't understand the allure. And she said the word allure like she was completely dressing her down. The allure of the Lincoln. My date got up, went outside and got the cab. I finished my burger and I paid the check. And there was no third date. Now, the restaurant was owned and run by the Athens family. John, his wife, Lula, Lula, and their sons, Pete and Tony. And if you ever ate there, I'm telling you, if you ever went in there, you were almost always greeted by Lula and her giant stack of hair. I mean, she was like a woman from the 50s preserved. 
Okay, she was she was she had a very thick Greek accent. She was super friendly. She had a really wry sense of humor, and she was very kind. She liked to give uh, kids dum dum poly- lollipops as they left. You know, and she was just. It was her restaurant. John, her husband, mostly sat in the corner watching sports on the small TV hanging in the back corner. Pete, um, the son who was this huge fucking bodybuilder, um, he was often at the register. He was gigantic. And then Tony was sort of like the man in charge. Uh, Tony had been to culinary school and came back to help his, his mom and dad run the restaurant. He changed the menu up. He made it <laughs> all the Civil War-themed food. Now, I knew that I'd become sort of like a fixture in the place, like those giant mugs of soda or the bust of Abe on top of the dessert display, when one day, I'm just sitting in my favorite booth, reading the reader and chowing down on my Phillips shirt, and I hear Pete bark, Don, he's Don! You got a phone call! This is pre-cell phone for me, at least. And someone, I can't remember who did, who called me the first time, knew that it was Sunday and that I'd probably be there. So they just called the restaurant directly. Pete had answered. They asked for Don. Pete said, great. Had the phone cradled on the counter for me. It was like in my house. It was like I belonged. One time, another time, I remember once I was walking home when we lived a block away. And Tony just kind of bolts out of the front and grabs me and says, you got a minute? He says, Mom's home today, and Pete had to go. Can you staff to register for like half hour till I get the shift covered? Of course I could. So for a half an hour, I ran the register of the Lincoln. You know, they trust me with the money, all that kind of stuff. It's great. It was. Yeah, I, I was a part of a team without really being a part of a team. My sweet Abigail, I fear that the days of delicious omelets and days old bread pudding are soon coming to an end. No longer will we be able to speak sweetly to one another over the steaming plate of Stonewall Jackson nachos or Joseph Hooker burgers. While the ending of such times must come and we will be forced to dine at Starbucks or IHOP, please remember that the golden apple is still an option. With all my heart, Beauregard. Lula died of pancreatic cancer in 2011. And it was kind of like the soul of the place went with her. I mean, it was still the Lincoln. There was still John, Pete, and Tony. But she wasn't there. That massive, giant hair thing was not there and, and there was sort of like a dinge to the air as if the lamps were get, weren't getting quite enough juice I mean it was her restaurant and the guys were just kind of keeping it open well finally Tony announced in 2014 that they were selling the place he had two other businesses that were exclusively his and his wife and Pete had his life to live and John was 82 and wanted to retire well the last week they were open I came in every day and ate and talked with the waitresses, some of whom had been there since 1992, the year I started dining there, and Tony comped my every meal. And I think what made me think of this was outside of our apartment in Wicker Park, Gaspar Gomez and his family owned the Shell Station right on the corner of Damon and Division and just recently sold it to developers. They raised his rent so high he had no choice, and after 30 years of owning that shell station with his family, I watched out my window as the place went from a gas station to an empty lot inside of a week. And the whole 
experience reminds me of one of my favorite Ray Bradbury short stories in a season of calm weather. Roy looked down from the cliffs at the man drawing in the sand. The picture that started to emerge startled him. It was an extraordinary face, not realistically rendered, but seemingly viewed from many angles at once. In fact, it looked much like a Picasso. As soon as the thought entered his mind, his heart stopped. He lifted his binoculars to his eyes, which he then felt compelled to rub. The man on the beach was Picasso. Roy's pulse raced. He walked this route every day and knew that very soon the tide would sweep in and wash away a genuine Picasso original. Somehow he had to try and save it. But how? And trying to hold back the sea was futile, nor was there any way to take a cast of the sand, even if he had the time he was actually so short of. Perhaps he could run back home for his camera, but that would at best preserve a record of the work, but not the picture itself. And if he did try this, by the time he got back, the image would probably have been erased by the ocean. Perhaps then he should just simply enjoy this private view as long as it lasted. As he stood watching, he didn't know whether to smile or cry. Yeah, sure. Neither the Gomez Shell Station nor the Lincoln Restaurant were Picassos. But there's, there's an art to living a full life of the many comings and goings of humans connected by a single location or a landmark, just sort of like just a regular place, a dive bar where everybody's there, a restaurant or a shell station, whatever. It's nice to kind of revisit these places of magical import, to remember the food and the people and our tenuous connections to a place in time. And that's the podcast this week. Thanks to Dana for voicing Abigail and for Mike Vinopal for providing music. I hope you enjoyed it and come back in two weeks for more. In, me, in the meantime, you can access the entire first 20 episodes of Peculiar Journeys on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, as well as at donhallchicago.com slash podcast. Here's a little bit of quick business. If you dig Peculiar Journeys, leave me a review on iTunes. Doesn't take you long and it helps with the numbers. If you want to help finance this enterprise, go to www.patreon.com slash Peculiar Journeys. Become a VI patron for as little as a dollar a month. And also, December 4th at 7 p.m. is the next live version of Bug House at Haymarket Pub. Swing by to catch me debating with Dana, uh, my wife and I against each other, on a very important topic. Do these pants make my ass look fat? Go to www.literateape.com slash events for tickets and info. Peculiar Journeys is a bi-weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself and my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park. In a world of 7 billion people, telling stories is the only way to truly understand one another. So go out there and tell a few stories. <laughs> <laughs>